Corinthians, I don't know about you, but Corinthians is one of those books for me that I feel like I know quite a lot of it. You know, it's a really familiar book, isn't it? It's talked about a lot, the bits of it are quoted a lot. And so when I think about Corinthians, I often think, oh, it's about this, or it's about this, or it's about this. And um, it was fascinating because earlier this week I sat down and, and I just read through the whole of Corinthians from, from start to end in one sitting and I was like, oh right. And you know you kind of think, I thought it was about this or about this or about this. And, and it is. Those things are in there, but it isn't there for the sake of that. The things that are in Corinthians are there because there is a consistent theme that runs all the way through Corinthians that Paul keeps coming back to that ties all of these other subjects together. Because it feels a bit random, right? There's some stuff on eating meat that's been sacrificed to idols. There's some stuff on marriage. There's some stuff on sexual immorality. There's some stuff on the gifts of the Spirit, some stuff on communion. And you think it feels like lots of random things. But when you read it all the way through, what you start to realize is that Paul has one aim in in mind when he's talking to the church in Corinth. And in order for us to properly understand what he's talking about, before we read some of the letters to the Corinthians, I think it's really important for us to actually grasp where they were and what it was like where they were, what was actually going on in the city of Corinth around the first, well, around that, that first century period. Um, so a little bit of background for you on, on Corinth. Corinth was a Greek city, okay? Um, <clears throat> And uh, in about 146 BC, the Romans invaded and flattened Corinth, and they dragged all the Corinthians off into slavery or to join the army, all that kind of thing, okay? And so the, Cor the city of Corinth around 146 BC was just a smoldering mess. It was just left. About 100 years later, 44 BC, Julius Caesar marched into what was Corinth and rebuilt the city. Okay, he rebuilt the city and, and he uh, gave the city over to or filled the city with what was called freed men. Okay, freed men. So these are people that had served in the army but had worked their way out of the army or had bought their way out of slavery or that kind of thing. So they were now freed men and they moved into Corinth. And so Corinth became this, this busy city where all these people who, who had been bound by slavery or service in the army were now free to do whatever they want. This was the city. This was their city. This was the life that they could now live and they could make of it whatever they wanted to make of it. Um, Corinth was, there was about 400,000 people living in Corinth, okay? Like it, it was a busy, bustling city. That's, that's only slightly smaller than the population of Bristol, which is around about 500,000. So that's not the greater Bristol region, but Bristol, the city itself, about 500,000 people. So, so actually, Corinth isn't that much smaller than what we are. Similar sort of size, number of people, that kind of thing, okay? Um, and what, one of the things that was key about Corinth was it was positioned in a place where the north-south trade route intersected with the east-west trade route, okay? And so it became this, this this center for commerce, for life, for culture, uh, all that kind of thing. That's what Corinth was like. It, it was rammed with all these different types of things, all these different cultures, all these different people. You imagine the Roman army, every time they conquered somewhere, they would take people from those places off to join the army. Now imagine those people have all been freed and put in Corinth. So all these people with lots of different backgrounds and different beliefs and different cultures are now living together in this city, free to be whoever they want to be. So you can see there's all these things going on, all these different cultures, um, 
and, and it became a thriving, thriving city. Um, it was also well known for its worship of the gods, okay? And not just Roman gods, but Greek gods, and not just Greek gods, but also the gods of Egypt were worshipped in Corinth. There were countless temples set up in Corinth. Whichever god you followed, you could worship. There was a place for you to do it. Um, it was full, full of temples and full of different gods that were, that were worshipped there. The Romans, they were clever. Um, when, they conquered, when they conquered people, they didn't make them worship their gods. In order to bring them in, what they did was they said, well, we're bringing our gods to where you are, but your gods can also join with our gods. And so they just amassed all these gods and, and all the gods could be worshipped. And so that... So Corinth became this like mini version of Rome, uh, where all the gods were welcomed, where whatever your background was, you, you could live there. Um, yeah, and because of that, because of the numerous temples, uh, there were also numerous shrine pros prostitutes. I'm trying to say that while keeping my denture down was fun. Um, <clears throat> numerous shrine prostitutes, and they, 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 so Corinth became known. It had a reputation for being a city of sexual immorality. Okay. Um, because of people, one of the practices that people did was they had sex with the shrine prostitutes in order to worship some of the various gods. Not all of them, but some of them. And so that was something that was well known uh, about Corinth. And I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, gosh, this feels like the modern West. Not that we've got loads of shrine prostitutes, and you won't find any of those in this building, hopefully. Um, but, uh, but, but isn't it like the modern West where, where I've got my truth, and you've got your truth, and you've got their truth, and, and, and that's all okay. Wh whatever you want to worship, whoever you want to follow, whatever way of life you want to adopt, you're welcome to do it. We can all have our truth, and that's all okay. We can all worship at the altars, the idols of the things that, that we desire. And we wouldn't call them gods today, right? Because we're Western and enlightened, and we've moved on beyond all of that. Okay, we wouldn't call them gods, but, but we have idols. Anything that we give our time to, anything that we have to have in our life, and we declare is, well, that's us, and I can't be without that. That's my god. That's my idol. That's the thing I worship, I give my worth to. And our society is full of that. We live in a society where all truths are welcomed. We live in a society where all roads lead up the mountain or all streams lead out into the sea or rivers lead into the sea. It doesn't matter what you worship or what you have as long as we're all allowed to do that. In fact, as long as it brings you happiness, then it sanctifies you, and that's okay. That's the kind of culture we live in, isn't it? That, that's it. And um, I was reading about Corinth, and one person wrote this uh, in their write-up of Corinth. They, they wrote that the, the citizens of Corinth were devoted to the reckless development of the individual. The citizens of Corinth were devoted to the reckless development of the individual. Self was the most important thing. And whatever I want, whatever I want to be, whoever I want to worship is king above everything else. That's what Corinth was like. Um, and it, it really blew me away as I was reading through the, the letters to Corinthians because I thought, wow, like, I see that in our society. I see that self is more important than community, that my feelings are more important than even things that can be maybe proven by facts and science, that this is the way that society seems to be going. Whatever your truth is, it's okay and you can have it.
And so I thought, wow, like what an amazing time for us to be reading through the letter to the Corinthians because Paul is writing to a church, to people who believe in Jesus, in a situation that's not that dissimilar to the situation that we find ourselves in as church in our society. So wow, like I can't wait to learn what Paul says to them and how that might apply to us. Now, before we we jump in any further, open your Bibles to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And what you'll start to pick up is that the thing that Paul is saying to the Corinthian church, and therefore the thing that the word of God, I think, is saying to us today, is the same thing that God's been saying to his people for countless generations, (laughs) for countless generations. Um, And in fact, uh, I was listening on the podcast to Chris's preach from last week. Wasn't he great? Yeah. I was listening to, to Chris's preach last week. And, um, and he picked up on some of this stuff. I was so excited. Um, so 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. Let's just read a couple of verses from there. It says, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors, so those who came before us, he's talking about the people of Israel, our ancestors were all under the cloud and they all passed through the sea. What's he talking about here? The Exodus, isn't he? He's talking about the Exodus, okay? They were all under the cloud and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food, which is the manna that came down from heaven, okay? And drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. We just read about some of this stuff, didn't we, in Numbers. Paul's Paul's referring now to the journey through the book of Numbers, where the manna came and the water came forth from the rock. Um, He says, these guys, they're just like you. They had a relationship with Jesus through the ways that were available to them in that time. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. So they had relationship with God, and yet somehow God was not pleased with them and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. To quote Chris from last week, which I'm going to do a lot today, they were so close, yet they were so far. They were so close, yet they were so far. They came out of Egypt. They knew God. His his presence went with them. And they were going to go to the promised land and they were on the border of it. They were so close. And yet they displeased God and they didn't make it into the promised land. They were so far. Why? Because they kept looking back. They kept looking back, back to what we had in Egypt, back to what we had then. If only we had been in Egypt and and they couldn't bring themselves to look forward. Every time they looked forward, it was like, we can't do this. We're not going to be able to get in there. We're like grasshoppers in their eyes. They're giants to us. And and they couldn't move in to what God was calling them into. They were so close, yet they were so far. They had the relationship with God, but they hadn't stepped into the promises of God because they hadn't put their faith and their hope fully in God. They hadn't yet seen all it was that he wanted to do in them and give them. And and that's essentially what Paul is saying to the Corinthians, okay? So in chapter 1 of of the Corinthians, in verse 7, it says this, Therefore... 
You do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. What's he saying to them? You you guys, the church in Corinth, you don't lack any spiritual gift. You are flowing in the prophetic. Healing is is moving among you. Uh, Tongues are being spoken out. There's wisdom. There's all kinds of stuff going on. You guys don't lack the spiritual gifts, i.e. you are filled with the Holy Spirit. You guys have got it. You've got it. You're under the cloud. Okay, the water has been poured out. The spirit is within you. And then you get to chapter 3, verse 1. And Paul writes this, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready you are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Do you see that? Paul's like, guys, you are so close, yet you are so far. How has this happened? You are filled with the Spirit, and yet you're still worldly. You're still looking back. You're still looking to the things of Corinth and not stepping in to the promises that he has for you, to the, to the amazing things he wants you to live in, the freedom he truly wants you to know. You're filled with the Spirit, but you're not walking in step with the Spirit. You're not walking in step with the Spirit. How is it that you're so close and yet so far? And... and um, Basically, what he's saying is you're still, you're still like the Corinthians. You still look like the Corinthians. In fact, in that time, to Corinthize someone was to corrupt them. That was a, a term that was used. If you were Corinthized, you were corrupted. And Paul's basically, basically insulting them. He's like, I love you, but seriously, check yourselves. You look like the Corinthians. You're filled with the Spirit, but you're not walking in step with the Spirit. How is that possible? How is that possible? Um, And throughout chapters one and two, uh, what you'll discover is is that Paul sets up this kind of paradigm. He says that there's the wisdom of the world and the foolishness of God. The wisdom of the world and the foolishness of God. Don't we see that in our age where the world is wise, right? The world has all the answers the knowledge, well, we figured this out, we figured that out, and you can do this, and you can do that, and if it is this, then that's okay, and whatever that looks like, you've seen lots of it yourselves, I'm sure. And then there's the foolishness of God that says, no, actually, you won't be satisfied in any of that stuff. You won't find sanctification in any of that stuff. You won't ultimately find your joy in that stuff. You'll just keep moving from God to God because you're so hungry for it, and none of it's ever really, truly going to fill you. The only way is Jesus. The only way is Jesus. And that's so mind-blowing, but because literally what Paul's saying is the only way to life is through this guy who lived in Jerusalem or around that area who died a criminal's death and was shamed upon a cross. That's the way to life. It was foolish. It just didn't make sense, right? And Paul's saying, that's it. That's the only way. And he's contrasting these two things. And he's saying, guys, you've got an option here. You choose the wisdom of the world or the foolishness of God. But Paul says this, that the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of the world. Wow. The foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of the world. It doesn't look like it from the world's point of view. It doesn't, does it sometimes? The Christian faith looks a bit pathetic, actually, from the world's point of view, if I'm honest. But actually, the truth is that God's way is so much better. It doesn't make sense. In a world where you're striving constantly to be up here, God says, no, bring yourself down here and I will raise you up. What? 
make myself low, give up on all of this stuff, surrender my rights, and you will do it all? Yeah. Doesn't make sense. But this is how Paul sets this letter up. And he's basically saying, what will you choose? Now, we don't have loads of time, so um, I'm not going to be able to go into depth with all of this stuff. Uh, but I want to give you a bit of an overview, chapter by chapter, of some of the things that he pulls out. Is that okay? You'll notice at the start of chapter 1, Paul says, to the church of God in Corinth, who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Do you see, straight away, he's starting off and saying, it's in Jesus that you're sanctified, not in anything else. And, and then he says, hey, I'm asking this one thing of you, be united in all things, don't be divided. Why? Because the culture in Corinth was one that says you can find sanctification in all these other gods. And actually, while that looks good, like, oh, we can have whatever we want, it actually was creating division within the, in the, in the culture, within the community. Because, well, I find it in this God. Well, I find it in this God. Well, that's good for you. That's good for you. Like, you know, and they would fall out over things. It looked wise, like we can hold all this together. But actually what it did was create division. And he's saying, no, no, you're, you're, you're united in Christ. And so he goes on to, to talk about that stuff. And he says, guys, in Jesus, uh, in Jesus, you have the spirit of God and the mind of Christ. This is who you are. You are the people of God, sanctified by God, filled with the spirit of God, with the wisdom of God available to you. And he starts the letter in chapters one, two, and three by putting this out there. And then he gets to chapter three and he says, so what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? If you cast your eyes down to chapter 3, verse 12, Paul writes this. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. It, um, if it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss. What are you building with, Paul's saying? You've got it. You are the people of God. What are you going to build with now? What are you going to build on that? And do you know what I think is fascinating about this? What I think is more telling about the list of things that Paul presents, gold, silver, uh, costly stones, and um, straw hay goes on to these things. I think what's, what's more telling about what, what Paul says is what Paul doesn't say. Normally, if we were talking about gold, silver, what would the next thing be? Bronze. Bronze. Gold, silver, and bronze. Bronze would be the next thing we'd say. Bronze isn't mentioned there. And here's another fascinating fact about Corinth for you. Corinth was well known. It was world-renowned for the quality of its bronze. In fact, in many places in the Roman Empire, Corinthian bronze was more valuable than silver and equally as valuable as gold. That's how good Corinthian bronze was. Isn't that amazing? Wow. And Paul says this, hey, what are you going to build with? Gold, silver, costly stuff? He, he skips out bronze. He skips out bronze because he's intentionally doing that. Because he's saying, guys, don't build with the things that the world is offering you, but build with the things that God has given you. Build with the things that God has given you. Take hold of the gold of the word of God and build your life with that. Build your life with that. How easy is it for us to see the things the world has and to rate them really well and say, well, it seems to work there or work there. I'll take a bit of that and a bit of that and a bit of that for my life. Even in the modern church, we do this. Even in our walks, we do this. It seems wise. It's wise by the world's standards, but not by God's. Not by God's. So Paul's saying, hey, what are you going to build with? What is your life going to look like? And then in chapter 4, he gets on to 
to really, really, really gene them up a little bit here, right? Love this. Chapter 4, verse 8. Now, I need to tell you before we start reading this, Paul is being sarcastic, okay? All right? He's, he's jabbing them in the ribs. He's playing with them. So, this is what he writes. Already, you have all that you want. Already, you have become rich. You have begun to reign, and that without us. How I wish that you really had begun to reign, so that we might also reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle of to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you, you are so wise. We are weak, but you, you are so strong. You are honoured, we are dishonoured. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We're in rags. We are brutally treated. We're homeless. We work hard with our hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you, my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I've sent to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of, the, of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in the church. Do, do you see that? Do you see what he's doing? You guys think you've got it all. You're all sorted. Everything's okay. And look at us. We're like the scum of the earth. And, and he's setting it up like this. And he's saying, no, you're mistaken. You're mistaken. Actually, it's the other way around. Actually, you don't have it all. You think you do, but you're not living in it. Your life doesn't look like the life of Jesus. And if you're following Jesus, that's what your life should look like. If you're choosing Jesus, then your life should look like his. He's saying, hey, when we're persecuted, we endure it. When we're scorned, we bless. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. And you guys, you're not living like that. You're not living like that. And he starts then really getting into some of it with the church. And, and it gets quite deep and quite heavy. And you're a bit like, oh my God. Goodness me, I would not have wanted to be in the church when this letter was being read out. <laughs> but um, he starts getting into it. In, in chapter 5, he starts pulling out some of the things that are going on in their community and identifying individual things. And so in chapter 5, we get this situation where there's sexual immorality going on. There's all kinds of stuff that isn't being lived out the way the church should look. And do you know what, guys? He's not talking about homosexual sex. No, he's talking about heterosexuals here. There's sexual immorality taking place between heterosexual people who claim to follow Jesus. In fact, there's a man sleeping with someone who's not his wife. And Paul says, this is not okay. This is not okay. In fact, the person that he was sleeping with was his father's wife, which makes it even more not okay. <laughs> but but, but it, it was not okay. And Paul's just saying to them, guys, anything outside of sex between one man and one woman who are married in the eyes of God for life is sexual immorality. And this is not okay. And he says, hey, you might see it going on in the world around you. That doesn't mean that you can do it. 
That doesn't mean that that's what Jesus bought your freedom for. In fact, towards the end of chapter five, he says, hey, I don't judge the world. Why would I? They don't know Jesus. How quick sometimes the church in this society is to judge the world before it judges itself. Let's take the plank out of our own eye before we take the speck out of other people's eyes. If we claim to follow Jesus, our lives need to look like the life of Jesus. And Paul's saying that this is not okay. Um, he says that actually, he says, I'm not judging the world, but I will judge the church. Now that's a weird one, isn't it, for us? It makes us a bit uncomfortable. Does it make you uncomfortable? Um, because I think that quite often in the modern West, the way that we've geared stuff up in the church is we say, oh no, the Bible says do not judge. But the Bible does not say that. Sorry for those of you that have been hanging on to that. The Bible does not say that. In fact, what Jesus said is, take the log out of your own eye before you take the speck out of your brother's. Do you, do you see that? He, we are called to take the speck out of our brother's eye, but first to deal with ourselves. We are called to judge, and Paul says we should judge, because when a judge sits on the throne, justice comes, and life and freedom flow out of justice. You see that? We, we are called. Do you remember we looked at Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 a couple of weeks ago, where Paul says, hey, if a brother or sister is caught in sin, then those of you who are full of grace and full of the Spirit should gently restore that brother or sister. That's judgment. That's getting alongside someone and saying, I love you enough to say that there's something going on in your life that doesn't line up with the Word of God. And I want to stand with you in that and walk with you back towards him. Is that okay? Because I love you. But I'm not going to stand idly by and just let you get on with it because you are not building your life in the way of Jesus. And I want that for you. We're called to do that. If we really love one another, then we're called to do that. And Paul's ripping into the church because he's saying, guys, you're celebrating what this guy is doing. This is not right. So from there, from that happy little note, he moves on into chapter six and, and he says, it, the relationships are still not good in other ways as well. It's not just around sex, it's around other things. He says in chapter six, guys, what is going on that, that you are having issues with one another and then you're taking each other to court and that in front of the unbelievers. What does that say about Jesus? What that says is that Jesus isn't the thing that matters most to you. You are the thing that matters most to you. Your rights, your ways, what you think you're entitled to. So you're dragging a brother in Jesus to court when Jesus has forgiven you everything and you are judging and, and or not judging but you are, are not releasing them from something and Jesus has released you from it all what does that say to the world about the way of Jesus He's, he says come on this isn't right this isn't right you're acting like the people around you um then in the second half of chapter six he goes on to talk about the body and he gets back to the topic of sex and stuff like that and um and he basically says, let's read this bit, shall we? Let's read from, from verse 12. I have the right to do anything you say. Paul's quoting them. You say that because you're free now, you have the right to do whatever you want. But then Paul says, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything you say, but I will not be mastered by anything, says Paul. You say food for the stomach and stomach and the stomach for the food, but God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Do you, do you see this? Do you see, oh, well, the stomach for food and food for the stomach and therefore the body for sex and sex for the body. And he's saying, no, 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 <laughs> no, 
Yeah, the food for the stomach and stomach for the food, but the Lord's going to destroy all of that. Your body was made for something greater. Your body was made for Jesus. You see, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God dwells in you and that's your key purpose. You were made to carry the presence of God in this world. God's Spirit is not going to dwell in a temple full of idols, but only where he is exalted as king. He gets down in verse uh, 19 and he literally spells it out. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor, your, uh, honor God with your bodies. Guys, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Wow. Like, wow. Maybe we haven't let that sink in. God's presence dwells in you. <sighs> Cast your mind back to all the stuff we talked about through Leviticus. Do you remember all the stuff around the temple and uh, around the, um, the Holy of Holies and how only certain people could go there because it was so holy and there were all these rituals and procedures and, that they had to go through to get there because it was so holy? You are it now. You are it. You are a holy place where the presence of God dwells. Paul says, come on, don't mess that up. You're so close, yet you're so far. So close, yet you're so far. Do you not want to step in to all that he has for you? Come on, come on. So then he gets into chapter 7. And because of some of the things he said, understandably, the Corinthians are a little bit like, oh my goodness me, they've written to him and he's replying to them. And, and, and they're like, so hang on a minute, Paul, are you telling us then that, that we shouldn't be having sex? That a man shouldn't sleep with a woman? Is that what you're saying? Because we're made for the spirit. And Paul says, no, no, you can. But sex is good in the way that God gave it within the context of marriage between one man and one woman. This is how he made it. This is how he blessed it. This is what it's for. This is where it flourishes. This is where it's fruitful. This is what he gave it to you for. So Paul's not saying, hey, sex is bad, guys. And Paul's also not saying, hey, go sleep with whoever you want. He's saying, no, sex is good. But in, in, within the order of creation with which God has given it. Because God then is found within it. And there's blessing in that. There's blessing in that. And so he's, re he's replying to that stuff. Um, and following that, in chapter 7, he goes on to talk about various other relationships. So he talks about the way that people should honor each other in marriage. He talks about uh, the way that you are, if you're a slave, or if you're a freed person, or whatever you are. And basically what he says is this, in chapter 7, verse 17. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned them to, just as God has called them. Hey, whoever you are, whatever situation you're in, live for Jesus. Sometimes I think we, we, we come to faith and we think, I have to get out of this now and live somewhere else. Wouldn't it have been easy for Paul to say to the church in Corinth, guys, Corinth is, is messed up so badly, get out. But he doesn't say that. He says, stay and live as a believer. Be a light in the darkness. Live for Jesus. Live for Jesus. Take this land as the promised land and live in the fullness of all that God has live in the fullness of all that God has. They were so close, yet they were so far because they were living in this land, but not living in his way. They were still living in the ways of the old land, yet they knew Jesus. He's like, come on, guys, come on. I'm, I'm not going to go loads into all the other chapters because we are running out of time and 
I want to just create a bit of space for us to respond. But as you journey through, you'll start to see this pattern again and again and again. In chapter 8, he talks about food and idols. And, and the whole thing there uh, was about honoring people. So there were people that came to faith uh, that were struggling to eat meat, not because they'd gone vegan, okay, but, but because all the meat in Corinth that was sold in the market had been sacrificed to idols. And so therefore they're a bit like, can I eat this? I feel uncomfortable eating this meat because it's been sacrificed to idols. And other believers were like, hey, we're free. Let's just eat it. And it was, it was causing some division among them. And Paul says, hey, I'm, I'm okay with it because actually everything is the Lord's. So I can eat this. But if there's someone among you who's struggling with that, then choose not to for their sake to help them come closer to Jesus. He's saying, honor one another. Because when God called his people into the promised land, he called them to be a people that were for one another. Remember, we talked about family the other week. And so he's saying, love one another, because that's how we honor the Lord. So close, yet so far. He's like, come on, the way you treat one another matters. The way you treat one another matters. And, and then Paul, basically, in chapter 9, has this whole rant where he's like, hey, I'm an apostle. And uh, I have this gift, and I have this gift, and have I not led you all to the Lord? And he's like, you know, hey, I have rights. You know, I have rights. In fact, I could demand that you pay me. I could demand that you honor me. I could, because I'm an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I have met the risen Lord Jesus Christ face to face, and I have rights. And he's doing this because the Corinthian church was saying that they had rights. And he's making the point that he has more rights than them on paper, all right? And he's saying, I have all these rights. But he gets to the end of chapter 9, he says, but I lay them down. I lay them down for the sake of the gospel. I lay them down because all my rights are caught up in Jesus. They're all caught up in Jesus. So I live for him. I have the right to choose to live for him. I'm free from sin. I'm free from death. And I choose him in all things. And he's basically saying, come on, come on. Are you going to choose him? And isn't that a thing of our time as well? My right I'm allowed to be this, I feel this, I want to engage in this, I want to have this, I will spend my time doing this. And, uh, hey mate, what have you got there? Oh, that's cool. I'm like a big lizard. Oh, geez. Oh, this is cool. This is cool, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Hey, you going to take that back to mummy? Yeah? Thanks, John T. Oh, um, for those of you listening on the podcast, Chauncey Duncan very cutely just brought a big green lizard toy up to the stage. Um, listen, listen, listen. So, so isn't that like our time? Um, uh, we've all got rights. I've got my rights. You've got your rights. And Paul says, hey, it's not about that. It's about the fact now that you have the right to live in all that Jesus wants you to have. Are you going to choose that? Are you going to choose that? That's it. He's like, you're so close and yet you're so far. You've almost grasped it, but not quite, not quite. Chapter 11 is um, fascinating. He gets into all this stuff about um, that, that Jesus is the head of man and man is the head of woman and all this kind of thing. And I'm not going to go there now. Praise the Lord, we're running out of time. Uh, <laughs> but uh, just, just to say that if you want to hear more about that, Dennis will be answering that one at the Bible Q&A. No, no. <laughs> 
no, 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 no. There's, um, actually, actually, the truth is, when you look at the Greek words, it's an amazing passage, and it doesn't mean what it looks to mean in the English. And, and I'd yeah, love to talk about that at some point, but not today. Um, the whole thing, though, is he's talking about, again, you, you're free to worship, and you can worship however you want. But Paul's saying, but listen, if the way that you worship is offending people in the culture around you and stopping them come to know Jesus, then what's the point? Use your right to honour Jesus by honouring these people and leading them to him. So hey, if, if it means acting like this in worship, then do it. Lay it all down for him. Lay it all down for him. See, the people in the Old Testament, they were called to be a blessing to, to the nations, right? They were blessed to be a blessing. They were free to bring freedom. They were honoured to bring honour. They, they were blessed to be a blessing. You have been blessed to be a blessing. This is what Paul's saying. You're so close. You've received the blessing, but you've forgotten the part that says you've received it to be a blessing. You're so close, yet you're so far. You're filled with the Spirit, but you're not walking in step with it. What is going on here? And, and this is his thing all the way through. Um, hopefully, as you read through, you will start to see that theme through all the things that he says. But let me wrap up with this. In chapter 7, verse 17, we read this one already. But it says, nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned them. And then in verse 35, it says, I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you might live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. What is Paul's heart? Paul's heart for the church is that they would live in the fullness of all that God has for them. All that God has for them. But the problem is that they kept being pulled back like the people in the Old Testament. They kept being pulled back to Corinth. They kept being pulled back to the ways of Corinth, to the things that they saw there. They were confusing the wisdom of the world and the foolishness of God. They were confusing their freedom in Christ with liberty to do whatever they liked. They're not the same thing. They're not the same thing. And they were confusing that. And he's like, you're so close, yet you're so far. And so chapter 9, verse 24 says this do you not know that in a race all the runners run but only one gets the prize run in such a way as to get the prize run in such a way as to get the prize Paul's saying do you not realize all that the Lord has set before you then run to it run to it Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified from the prize. You, you've got a choice, I've got a choice, like the Corinthians had a choice. Most of us in this room know Jesus. Most of us in this room have given our lives to him. Most of us in this room have received the Holy Spirit because we've chosen to follow Jesus. But many of us in this room may not be living in the fullness of that, may not be walking in step with that. We're so close, yet we're so far. Can I put my hand up and just tell you that that applies to me sometimes? Okay, I'm, I'm not preaching this at you as if I've got it right, because I haven't, and I need you to know that, all right? 
I mess stuff up. Sometimes I am so close, yet I am so far. And I need you to walk with me, and I want to walk with you because I want us not to be like this. I want us not to be like the people in Numbers that were so close yet so far. They were right there, but they never stepped into the promised land. I want us as a church to step into the promise. I want us as a church to to know the fullness of the blessing of his spirit upon us so that people around us would know that blessing too, so that others would come to know Jesus. And guys, I'm just going to call it as it is. If we live like the world, that will not happen. That will not happen. If we go into work or school or college or, or to our families and we just act like everybody else, if we demand our rights like they demand theirs, if we, I don't know, take your pick of any of the topics he talks about in Corinthians, but if we adopt the ways of the world and not the ways of Jesus, we will not be a light in the darkness. And we won't experience that for ourselves either. He has so much more for us, so much more. Let's not be so close but so far. Let's step into the fullness of all that he has. I was chatting with Emily about this earlier in the week, and so you can blame her for this example, but um, she, she's the wise one in our relationship. Uh, most of what I share with you guys that is wise actually comes from her. Um, so um, we were talking about this, and she had this example. She, she, she said to me, she said, Matt, you know, if, isn't it funny how in the church, and I don't just mean here, by the way, I'm not, I'm not, you know, kind of prodding you guys. I mean the the church in the West, all right? Isn't it funny how we get so quickly offended when someone calls us out about our sin or when someone tells us that we should be living certain ways? We get so quickly offended. And she said, she said, if you joined a sports team, believe it or not, I used to swim for a club. Yep, backstroke champion. I know you wouldn't really believe it now looking at me, but once upon a time. Um, but if you join a club, a sports club, a swimming club, a, 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 I don't know, a karate club, a, a whatever, um, my mind's gone blank when I'm trying to think of sports clubs because I'm not very sporty. Uh, <laughs> but um, if you join a club and the coach says to you, you need to be here to train three, four times a week, training's at 6 a.m., you're there, right? You get up and you get there. You're not offended by that, are you? You get there. If the coach says to you, you need to go on a diet and you're going to eat this and this and this and no more. No more McDonald's for you, Matt. No more whole nut bars. No more, none of that. You're not offended. You do it, right? If the coach says to you, you need to be in bed by 7.30 p.m. and you need to get some sleep because we've got a big, uh, we've got a big competition in the morning. You do it. You're not offended. And yet so often in our culture, when people in the church, they challenge us, we get offended. Well, who are you to tell me that I cannot do that? I have my rights. Jesus loves me. Well, he does. But he loves you so much. There's so much more he has for you. And let me just say this to you. I, I am not the coach. I'm part of the team. Jesus is the coach. All right? Jesus is the coach. And here's the training manual. All right? Let's run for him. Today, that means that some of you, some of us, are sat here and we know the things in our lives that look more like the world than Jesus. Today's a day to lay that down.
Today's the day to say, yes, Jesus, I know. And I've been making excuses for it. Everyone's doing it. I'm free in Christ. Jesus loves me anyway. I've been making excuses for it. But I realize that if I'm really going to step into all that you have for me, then I need to lay that down. I need to lay that down. Why don't we stand together? I want to share one more thing with you before we just respond in worship. And it's uh, something that John Allen told me, actually. It was a great little illustration. Going back a number of years ago in a church that he was part of, the pastor got him up on stage and held a stick and told him to take the stick from him. And so he kind of tried to take it but didn't. And he was like, no, come on, try harder. And so in the end, John Allen and the pastor were wrestling up on the stage until he ripped the stick from his hand. Which I can imagine if you were in the congregation, you'd be like, ooh. <laughs> and then the, the pastor basically said, this stick is a fence. No one gives you offense, you take offense. And you really have to wrestle it. You really have to wrestle it. You take offense. And maybe you're offended this morning. Maybe I've touched on something that you're like, I don't like that. How dare you say that? I'm off to another church. Well, I hope you don't go, but bless you if you do. But what, what, what I would love is if we could love one another and walk with each other through that and see the glory of Jesus revealed in our lives. Yeah? That awkward moment when you're preaching and leading worship and you have to change from one mic to the other. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing a song called I Surrender All. And I just want to give you the space to respond to Jesus and to, to offer him all of you again. And as we sing this song, uh, elders, if you would just make your way over here, there are people that would love to pray with you. So if there's something you know that you're wrestling with and, and you know that on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, you are being defeated, you're giving in then we'd love to stand with you and to pray with you and to pray for God's spirit to fill you so that that can be broken in your life. We'd love to, to feed you and equip you so that you have everything you need to run the race because we believe that the race that Jesus calls us to run is the best one to run. We believe that what Jesus has to offer us is the greatest thing that we could ever receive. And if in this place today you don't know Jesus, if you don't know him, then let me tell you this, he's amazing. He's amazing. And what he wants for you is life in all of its fullness. He doesn't want you to be bound by addictions and things that you keep being pulled back to. He wants you to be free and to know the truth of that. And so today, if you want to give your life to Jesus, I want to invite you just to come forward and come and stand with one of the guys over here. And they would love to pray with you and just lead you uh, into relationship with him, into all that freedom. And if there's something going on for you that I haven't said, you're welcome to come for prayer as well. You may have heard of Mike Pilavachi, the leader of Soul Survivor. I once heard him say that he was so hungry for the Holy Spirit that every time there was ministry, he would go to the front. Even if the ministry was for women who couldn't get pregnant, he was there. All right. So, so listen, maybe I haven't called out what it is that you want ministry for, but we believe that the presence of God is in this place today. And um, we believe that he has more for you. We believe that there's joy, that there's peace, that there's healing, that there's hope, that there's life, that there's forgiveness, that there's strength for the things that you're struggling with. So whatever it is you need, come and receive from the Spirit of God.
But let's start just by laying our lives before him. Let's make this our prayer. Lord, to Jesus I surrender all. To him I freely give.